From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, Under the Influence. When you looked at the abstract conclusions, 90% had a pro-industry conclusion. First this. Dr. Bize is an advisory board member for Allergan and Pfizer and has received lecture fees from Alcon. She has received grants from Allergan, Pfizer, and the Canadian Institutes of Health Research. As Seen From Here reaches ophthalmologists in 98 countries, transfers more than half a terabit of podcasts every month, but the potential audience is much larger. Please tell your colleagues about this free resource, Flattening the Ophthalmic World. And while you're at it, let your residents and fellows know about Open Ophthalmology, a free basic science video podcast, already a force in ophthalmic education with 1,800 viewers watching 6,000 video lectures every month. Information wants to be free. Help me give it away. We all take spin for granted. We talk about biases of sources of information and require authors and presenters to disclose affiliations and funding. But the inference we are making amounts to a very serious charge. We are saying that fellow scientists and clinicians will change what they write because of these influences, that the words they write on the page will be different depending upon who is giving them money. Could this possibly be true? Avon Bais has just published a study looking at this. I'm so pleased to welcome her as my guest today. Avon Bais, welcome to A Scene From Here. This paper dealt with industry-funded studies. What constitutes industry funding? Well, the way we defined it in the paper was that if the study had received money um, to support it from industry, either directly or through an unrestricted educational grant, but we also looked at if there was any author who was from industry on the paper, then we would also say that it was industry-funded. Meaning that if one of the authors came from a company like Pfizer or Allergan? Exactly. Avan, what was the objective of your study? I guess what initially got me interested in this was when um, there was a, a common feeling among glaucoma specialists and ophthalmologists in general that when you looked at studies of comparing the various prostaglandins, you never really had to look at the results of the studies. You just could look at who had funded it, and you would right away be able to know what the results were going to say and which um, product was better. So that's what got me started on thinking of doing this. And then the objective really was to look, is there actually industry bias in studies that were comparing the IOP efficacy of the various prostaglandin analogs. Can I get you to describe the design of your study? So the study, it's a retrospective cohort study. What we did is first we searched the literature for English publications that would compare any combination of prostaglandins, two or three of the prostaglandins. Each of these papers was then reviewed by three independent observers and we had data collection sheets where we would write down the information, including source of funding, if there was an industry author, what was the quality of the study, the main outcome measure, if the main outcome measure was statistically significant or not, 
um, what the abstract conclusions were and if they corresponded with the results of the main outcome measure. And then we did a statistical analysis of this. One of the factors that you mentioned was the source of the funding. How did you determine what the source of the funding was for a particular paper? So the first thing we looked at was to see if there was any disclosure on the article about funding. And there was in um, 35 out of the 39 articles, there was disclosure. In those articles that didn't have disclosure, we contacted the corresponding author to find out if there was disclosure. Um, From those, we were able to determine that three of them did have funding and one did not. You described in your paper that one of the papers that you looked at, one of the authors, had said that he had not gotten industry funding and that you subsequently found out that he had. Uh, Can I have you flesh this story out a little bit for me? So um, the initial corresponding author on that paper was not aware if there was funding or not and suggested that we contact one of the other authors who we contacted and that author um, said that there was no funding. However, I was well aware that that author um, frequently gave talks to for one of the companies. And so while we were waiting, because there was a long delay in the authors responding, I also had directly contacted the company to see if they had sponsored that paper. And the company replied that they had, in fact, Um, paid for that paper. You analyze something called journal impact factor. What is that? So journal impact factor, it's used as a proxy to measure the importance of a journal. And what they do is they look at the number of citations for the average article of journals over a given period of time, and this way quantify a value for journals which, as I mentioned, people then use to try to say what is the importance of that journal in a certain subspecialty. Avon, what were your findings? So we found a total of 39 articles that met our inclusion criteria. And of this, 29 were industry-funded and 10 were non-industry-funded. So we looked at the statistically significance or the statistical significance of the main outcome measure And there was no difference between industry or non-industry funded. Um, 24% of the industry funded had a statistically significant main outcome measure as compared to 20% of the non-industry funded. We also looked at other aspects like the number of intraocular pressure comparisons made. Again, there was no statistically significant difference between industry or non-industry funded. And the study quality and the journal impact factors. Now, our main outcome measure was to look for the correspondence between the abstract conclusions and the statistical significance of the main outcome measure. And in that, we found that they corresponded in only 38% of the industry-funded papers versus 100% of the non-industry-funded papers. And that was highly statistically significant. You found that while studies that were not industry-funded had results of their main outcome measures that corresponded perfectly with their abstract conclusions, but that less than half of the industry-funded papers had abstract conclusions that corresponded with their main outcome measure results. In other words, industry-sponsored studies were likely to draw conclusions in their abstracts that were not based upon their own main outcome measure findings. Can I have you describe this in a little more detail for me? I think 
what happens is that the discrepancy between the abstract conclusions and the statistical significance of the main outcome measures is due to how industry papers, how they um, give undue weight to surrogate outcomes or they do multiple, multiple comparisons and they give a lot of attention to one comparison that was statistically significant while ignoring many others that were not statistically significant. Um, also, sometimes what they do is they look at numerical differences. Although they weren't statistically significant, there might be a slight numerical difference in favor of their product, and they'll focus on this. So this kind of way of looking at data, it's commonly referred to as spin. And the idea of looking at multiple outcomes to try to find one or two that are significant is something referred to as data dredging. So I think this is um, what they're doing and making their conclusions a little bit misleading as compared to the actual study results. And you found that for the non-industry-sponsored studies that the conclusions corresponded perfectly with the main outcome measure results. There wasn't this sort of data dredging. Right, and no spinning of the data. They would really, their conclusions would state what the results were of the main outcome measure. Were the industry-sponsored studies more likely to draw pro-industry conclusions? Definitely. If we looked at the main outcome measures, only 24% of those were statistically significant in the industry-funded papers, whereas when you looked at the abstract conclusions, 90% had a pro-industry conclusion. If I'm reading this properly, you found that industry-sponsored studies had more data, more intraocular pressure measurements than their non-industry-sponsored counterparts. Well, again, you know, numerically they had more, but it wasn't statistically different. So when we looked at the mean number of IOP comparisons in industry-funded, it was just over 17 per paper as compared to the non-industry-funded, which had 13. But um, there were, this was not statistically significant. The p-value was 0.31. Avon, although your paper did not examine the mechanism of the biases, what do you think is going on here? I, I, I can, for example, think of three things. For example, that studies with designs less likely to demonstrate favorable results would be less likely to receive industry funding. Or that industry-funded studies with unfavorable results were less likely to be submitted for publication. And though I hesitate to suggest this, that the researchers themselves might have been biased in their data collecting or reporting. Yeah, I think that these are all interesting points. So if you look at uh, the history for prostaglandin analogs, so in 1996 approximately at that time, we have Pfizer introduces latanoprost, and then shortly thereafter, two other companies make what we call Me Too products. So for, in order for them to sell their products, they really need to advertise. And I think the best way of advertising is probably through journal articles. To get a journal article, I think actually the industry is the one who is designing the studies, funding the studies that we're seeing in the journals. I think that's much more common than a, an individual designing a study and then going to industry for money, although that can happen some of the time. I think most of the time it's the opposite. 
that industry is designing the studies and then getting um, people involved in the studies, that serves a number of purposes. It can serve as a marketing tool to get people used to using the product, and also then you can get a publication out of it that their drug reps can then circulate to further enhance their product as well. Also, the second point that you brought up about if the results are less favorable, is it less likely to submit it, be submitted for publication? Absolutely so. Now, with the new clinical trials registry, hopefully at least we'll know what studies were done and be able to get some idea if a lot of studies were done and you don't see them published, then you'll know that they had unfavorable results. But industry is usually um, pretty good in designing their studies that they usually will get the results that they want. And if they don't, they can at least spin it to make it look favorable. The final point, you know, a lot of people do have concerns. These studies, some of them are blinded, some of them aren't. Even when they are blinded, um, the side effects are a little bit different for the prostaglandin analogs. So some people have suggested that it is possible that researchers, even though they're blinded, will know what product um, the patients are on. We actually right now are doing a study trying to look exactly at that, and our preliminary results show that that is not the case. So that's a little bit reassuring that hopefully um, the people conducting the studies are not trying to bias their results to make the people that are funding the study happy. But it has been suggested that that might be a possibility. Avan, what is the registry that you just mentioned? Okay, so this is something that came up a few years ago. In order to publish studies, um, you have to register them before you start the study, a clinical trials register, registry. So you say, I'm going to do a study comparing this and that, and then you register the study. And in order to publish, they're demanding that you had previously registered your study. So, Avan, when I'm reading an abstract, what might tip me off that the abstract conclusions have been spun? I think it can be very difficult to be tipped off to it. A lot of the abstract conclusions were very vague, and they would just say that product A was better than product B. But then when you really looked into the study and you looked at the results, you would see that in the main outcome measure that was previously defined, that that wasn't the case, that there wasn't anything statistically significant. And maybe only one point out of 29 that were tested did have a statistical significance. So it can be very difficult if you only look at the abstract conclusions to know that um, that they aren't accurate. Avon, the fact remains that studies cost money. And one way of getting money is from industry. I, I, I don't know what we can say about that. Well, this is obviously a huge problem. And I don't know how, as um, a community, that we're going to be able to deal with this. Um, some people suggest that we can't do anything about it, that um, government funds have been cut so severely that we really do re- rely on industry funds for studies. And if that's the approach that person's going to take, well, then we have to look at a better way of managing how these studies are done to make sure that the people conducting the studies Um, are confident with how the paper is written, that they're involved in the writing of the study too, that we don't have ghost authorship of the paper. Um, Journal reviewers become very important in this process 
that they are making sure that what's in the paper is um, accurate and it's uh, correctly reflected in the conclusions. And journals themselves have to set up policies that they um, demand disclosure. So at least when you're reading an article, you're aware if the study was funded or not by um, industry. The other way to look at it is say, you know, this is a problem and we should no longer allow industry to fund studies and that maybe industry should be putting all their money for research into the government and the government is the one who um, divides out the money for people to use for research. I think this is a very unlikely um, approach that will happen. I think we have to learn better how to manage these kind of studies. How do your findings compare with those of comparable studies outside of ophthalmology? Yeah, they're very similar. There have been a number of studies done in various disciplines, including antidepressants, antihypertensives, anti-inflammatories, orthopedic devices, and they all show very similar results to our study. To our knowledge, this is the first time the study has been done in, in the field of ophthalmology, but in other disciplines, it's very similar. Avan, is there any way out of this Faustian bargain that we've struck with pharmaceutical companies, aside from reading these papers with a skeptical eye, an eye towards the biases that are intrinsic to these papers? You know what, I don't, I don't know if there's any other way to get out of it. I think we just need to have transparency um, throughout the entire process of writing and publishing articles but ultimately, it's going to be the reader's responsibility. I don't think it's enough just to read an abstract and um, feel then you know that those are the conclusions of the study. It's the responsibility of the reader to scrutinize the paper to make sure that the results justify the conclusions. Avan, what are your recommendations for those of us in clinical practice, aside from caveat emptor? I think... Um, it's really important that you read literature. As I was saying, you know, a lot of these papers are um, created to be used as a marketing tool. And I think a lot of us were very busy. We might not even have time to pick up a journal. Um, we probably, many of us, see drug reps, and drug reps will drop these papers off at our offices. I think you have to be very cautious, especially with those papers, um, to make sure that you read them carefully and then go to the literature and look for other papers as well. Again, ultimately, it's um, the reader's responsibility and you have to try to look for potentials of conflict of interest and then scrutinize papers to make sure that they are accurate. And look, if it's worth the drug company's money to have its representatives carrying copies of papers, then this must be worth the money that the drug companies are spending. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a big problem because, as I was saying, so you have a first product that comes out, and then you get these kind of me-too products, which are probably just as efficacious. Some of them have maybe more side effects. Maybe they're very similar. But the only way that they can bring them to um, increase their market share is through advertising and through lots of studies. So they bombard the journals with all their papers. And then what happens, you know? So some of us read the papers, and then some people do a meta-analysis. But for the meta-analysis, they're using all of these papers 
that are maybe not totally accurate in what they're reflecting as well. And there's a disproportionate number of papers from the Me Too products. So I think it gives a very um, incorrect view of what is the best product. Avan, is there anything else you'd like to add? I guess one other thing that this spun for me, like I, I mentioned that we um, then did this second study that we're just finishing now trying to look if um, there's actual specific bias in how the measurements are made of intraocular pressure. But the other problem I had with this when we were doing this study was the fact that of these 39 papers that we reviewed, four of them, there was no disclosure. And then when we looked further, three of those four were actually funded by industry. So I do have now a paper also that's been accepted at ophthalmology, looking at the ophthalmology journals and their disclosure policies. And I think this is something that um, we as a group need to work on as well to improve disclosure policies for not only reviewers, but also um, not only for, sorry, for the um, authors, but also for reviewers and editors. And I think that's really the next step that we need to go to. Avan Bais, thank you so much. You're welcome. Avan Bais is Associate Professor in the Department of Ophthalmology and Vision Sciences at the University of Toronto in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Her paper, Discrepancy Between Results and Abstract Conclusions in Industry versus Non-Industry-Funded Studies, Comparing Topical Prostaglandins, appears in the January 2009 issue of the American Journal of Ophthalmology. Ask questions of Dr. Bais or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write me with your questions or comments at jyoungmd at gmail.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.